Well, it's good to be up here again. It's been a while, and uh, time flies, as they say, when you're having fun. So uh, it's great to be here. We're going to look this morning, and we'll get to uh, the scripture reading in just a second. We're going to look this morning at a section in the book of Acts and continuing the series that Mike has started a few weeks back. Uh, I think we'll read the scripture, and then I'll open this in a word of prayer. If um, Matt, if you could, or I'm sorry, Bruce, if you could just put the reading up page 1086 in the Pew Bible if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to read along page 1086 okay okay now in these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a, pro a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's take a word, or take a moment and pray, I'm sorry. Thank you, Father, for the spirit of truth. And may you take these written words and make them become living words in our lives. Cause us, Father, to take heart to our responsibility Cause us to take to heart our testimony of those who are called out to be a witness to the world. May we walk in the light that you've given us. We ask, Father, now that you bless this service and this time that we spend together, that we would walk out a changed people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, a couple of thoughts, and uh, it takes me... I pretty much speak from the slides, so if I pause, it's just because I'm waiting on Bruce and I may not always give him the right signal. So if I seem to pause, it's not because I forgot. It's because I forgot to say, change the slide, okay? All right. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, and I think it's good to take a minute. When, when we think about chapters and verses in the Bible, we sometimes forget there were no chapters, there were no verses until 1,500-odd years after Jesus walked the earth. We inserted those. And the reason I bring that up is because it's easy to stop and start. It makes it easy for us, but it's easy also because of that to lose the thought, to lose the meaning, to lose where we are in the story that's being told by the writer of the particular passage. So I think it's important that we ask ourselves, in these days, what does this mean? In these disciples... Uh, in these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers. And this is the early church in Jerusalem. 
uh, I put up here a total way of life. They were all in, you might say. Now, we come in this morning like this. They were coming in in a very different fashion. It's hard for us because we don't really have a lot of documentation about the early church. There's not much we can find. Uh, mostly what we have is written just in a few verses of, of, of the scriptures in the book of Acts. And probably from James, the Lord's brother, and what he wrote later in, in, the, in, in his letter. But uh, we really kind of have to rely on this. But we have to try and set aside our uh, 2,000 years of history, uh, particularly of Gentile worship, <laughs> and looking back 2,000 years to get in the spirit of what was going on in Jerusalem at that time. So if we can set aside, we have to remember, the Apostle Paul is years in the future. He's not had the vision yet. He's not, or his vision of, 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 of uh, what's going to happen with the, this is primarily a Jewish a group of people, almost 100%. There's a, an example here of one of the people is a, a proselyte, but most of these people would be Jewish. And so we have to go back and ask ourselves, what was that church like? So let's take a minute and just go back through a couple of these scriptures and reorient ourselves to where we left off. Okay, so if you go, Bruce, to the next Next slide. Boy, did I ever make this font small. Whew. I, I'm getting too old for this. I don't think you have any chance to read this, but just quickly, in the second chapter, or I'm sorry, this is right after Pentecost. So remember, in Pentecost, you've got lots of visitors coming in to Jerusalem from all over, and they speak different languages. We know that from what happens when the Spirit falls. They all hear it in their own language, but there are many people there from all around, okay? All that believed were together and had all things common. I want you to think about this. Sold all their possessions, split them up as everyone had need. Nobody said possessions were their own. They had all things in common. Nobody lacked. Land, houses, sold. They brought the money to the apostles. Then we have the famous story, which Mike covered not long ago, Ananias and Sapphira, where they held back part of the money, which they had the right to do, but they were trying to disguise the fact that they were holding back from God rather than just being honest. Multitudes are coming, and you read in the, in the fifth chapter, some from outside Jerusalem. And keep that in mind because we're going to talk about these Hellenists, all right, and who they might be. Chapter 5, verse 42, right before we get to chapter 6, the apostles cease not to teach. This is to impart instruction. This isn't just to get up and give a sermon. This is to teach, to instruct. It's a way of life. It's not just a belief, some assent to some truth. It's a way of life. So they're teaching. And you notice that we're going to see that he talks about disciples. We do, a, uh, I don't know what the word would be. We, I'll be careful. We, we put a lot of focus on converts in America today. We don't do as good a job, in my opinion, at discipleship. We are told to go into the world and make disciples. And these people are teaching people how to be disciples of Jesus the Christ. So they're teaching and they're proclaiming. That's euangelo. That's where we get evangelized. They're proclaiming, which means to announce a joyful message. And what are they proclaiming? That Jesus is the Christ. And the reason this is important is because I ask you to think about what is going on in this city at this time. Just a, just a short period of time before that, they saw John the Baptist put to death. They saw Jesus put to death. They saw Suddenly, or they saw, or they're hearing from people who saw the risen Lord Jesus. The excitement that takes over that city, we can't even understand. 
Because for one thing, we're looking back at it. To them, the Messiah had been raised from the dead. The Messiah. When it says Jesus, we say Jesus Christ. To them, it's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed. Jesus the deliverer is here. And in their minds, it is the end of time. All the nations will soon be coming to Israel. They'll be falling down to worship God. And Israel will, will be out from under the servitude of the Roman Empire. So this is a tremendous, exciting period of time. They're getting ready. They're selling everything. They're coming together. They don't have yet a full understanding of what's going to happen in the future. We have this advantage, if you want to call it that, of looking back at this time. But in their minds, they don't have Scripture like you and I read in the New Testament. They are just excited, and they are all in. And you're going to hear me talk about that probably today a little bit more than what you even want. And all in. Bruce, if you'd change that slide. So, this verse continues. Complaints arose from the Hellenists. Now, these are Jewish, I'm sorry, they are Jewish people. They're speaking Greek. And you need to go back and remember that Alexander the Great had stormed across the globe or the, the, that part of the world. And, and uh, the Greek culture has taken over the Greek language. That's why our New Testament is written in Greek. And these are Greek-speaking Jews. These are not, these are not the Aramaic-speaking Jews that would that would uh, live in Jerusalem. These are Greek-speaking Jews. And they not only spoke differently, they had different culture, they had different ideas. And for whatever reason, and there are some people that read into this, there was something going wrong. For other reasons, other people think it's just an, an honest oversight. Whatever happened, these people thought or knew that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And they raised this complaint. Okay, Bruce, go ahead. Now, they talk about the widows being neglected. And I, uh, my wife will probably tell you, I, I get on these kicks, and I just get these things in my head, and I just ruminate. But I, some time ago, got to thinking about the widows and the orphans. And I went back and took a look, and I would encourage you, if you've never done this, to go back through the Old Testament scriptures and to see what God has to say about the responsibility of taking care of the widows. And especially in that day, the widows, you talk, the women had a, a, a tough life. And if they were a widow, they were in a world of hurt, so to speak. And they were dependent on being taken care of. But God has a very special spot in his heart for the widows and the orphans. And the early church was instructed, we'll get to this in, in a few minutes, but instructed about taking care of them. So if you've never gone back, it starts all the way in Exodus. You can go all the way through and look at these books in your own time. But you will also see that in the railings of the prophets against the nation of Israel, when they were proclaiming their uh, 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 displeasure of God, often they speak about abandoning the widows, abandoning the orphans, the responsibility of the community to take care of itself. Okay, Bruce, go ahead. So the 12, uh, it tells us the 12, we should not neglect the word. Now, the word here is not the Bible. It's not like we think of the Bible. They're not sitting around just staring at a New Testament all day, obviously. They're not to neglect the word. This is the Logon. This is an, an idea. It's a word. It's a statement. It's a proclamation. Uh, it's an expression of sayings and longer speeches that are given. So they aren't neglecting that. They said, we can't stop this. And if you look back in verse 42 of chapter 5, we read it a minute ago. They didn't stop teaching and preaching in the temple and homes. They were preaching in the temple, in the homes, instructing. It's a way of life. They can't stop proclaiming in order to serve tables. But we have to remember, when he says, or the, uh, when the writer says, serve tables, this is not 
they're not trying to downplay the importance of serving the tables. It's the same word. We're going we're gonna to see that in, in, a, in a couple of minutes. But the same word in verse 2 and verse 4 about spending time in the word. Serving the word is the same as serving the tables. This is not about an unequal importance of the work, if that makes sense. Okay, Bruce. So I mentioned it. This is the word we get our word, uh, diakoneo, and it's to serve, and it means uh, uh, um, to give of yourself to serve. And they're saying we are to give ourselves to serve the word and to proclaim. We need people to serve the, uh, the distribution of the food and the services that we have taken, all that's been entrusted to us. Okay? Go right on. Now, James, the brother of the Lord, later in his book, writes a couple of things. And I will uh, use this phrase, faith in action. Okay? He wrote... Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he also wrote, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father in this is to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. So this is the teaching to the New Testament church. We know later in the book of Acts, if you go, back, if you go forward in, in Acts and you're reading, you'll find James is the leader of the church. Paul comes to him. He tells them what to go out and say to the Gentiles. But he very carefully, or I'm sorry, very assuredly is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And these are his words. Pure, undefiled, be sure you're taking care of the orphans, taking care of the widows in their affliction. All right? Go ahead, Bruce. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. And, and I, I will be careful here because there's 2,000 years of history of people debating James versus Paul and works versus faith and, and, and grace. I'm not going to go into that, uh, get into that debate. But what I will say, that Paul also wrote this, for in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised, it doesn't matter if you're not circumcised. What matters is faith working through love. Okay? Faith working through love. Go ahead, Bruce. Now, some of you have heard of this famous preacher from the 1800, late 1800s, uh, 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 Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he's a, if you've never read any of his writings, you, I would encourage you to take some time and to do this. But he wrote something that I looked up and was very moved when I read this. The test of true faith is that it works. Faith which works, says the text, to the end it must first of all live. For it's clear that a dead faith cannot work. There must be a heart in our faith and the spirit of God breathing in it or it will not be the living faith of a living child of God. Being alive, true faith must not sleep, but must arouse itself as a child of the day, for a slumbering faith is matter for heart-searching, since sleep is a cousin to death. A wakeful faith that becomes active, and in its activity lies much of the proof. And you remember, James said, You show me your faith without your works? I'll show you my faith through my works. And he's not in any way talking about earning salvation. He's simply saying my faith results in something. And that's where I think the lesson for us to learn from this early church is to be found. Okay, Bruce, go right on if you would. Now, the qualifications that are laid forward for what they're looking for to take care of this. We want people who are of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and we want wise men. If we get those people, we can spend our time devoting our time to ministry and prayer 
And again, this is service and serving. This is that word again, diaconia, which is to serve, okay? We're going to do this. We're going to spend our time doing this. We're, and they're going to spend their time serving the widows at the table. A couple days ago, I came in to get my key to get in this morning. And when I came down here, there were workers here. And each of those people here, I won't name them, but each of them was working, doing something, giving of time and service to getting ready for today, getting ready to take care of the needs of the church. I stand up here this morning. Mike stands up here sometimes. You see me, you see him, you see others that stand up here. We oftentimes don't see the people doing all kinds of work. It's equal work. It's all important. It's all to be addressed and appreciated by all of us in this service. None of this happens without the contributions of everybody. And it's all equally important. Okay, let's go ahead, Bruce. This gathering was pleased with what they heard the 12 say. And what they said was, uh, you, you pick out these men, and, uh, and, and they picked out Stephen, a man full of faith. And I italicized the word full. Full of faith. Having faith is one thing. Being full of faith is another. And, and, and again, I'll tread lightly here. But in the, in the era before the creeds, you might say, in the era before we have these set of statements that we stand up and speak, when they used the word believe, when they used the word faith, it was a little bit different, and it was magnified a little bit differently, you might say. It had, along with it, the idea of faithfulness of the person who has the faith in God, if that makes sense. It wasn't just, I assent to this belief. I say Jesus is God, blah, 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 and then I don't do it. That, that is not what they heard and the way they interpreted that word. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting word, and from that word in Greek came the word, uh, the Romans and the, and the Latin, they used the word fide, where they had the God of, of loyalty, of, 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 of loyalty, of faithfulness. And that's where our Marines get their phrase. All right? So it meant, you don't just say, oh, yes, he's the commander, and then we just go do what we want out in the battlefield. No, he's the commander. When he speaks, we jump. When he speaks, we do this, we do that. We are in this together. And there's this unity of the faith. So it's full of faith is to act on what we say we believe, if that, makes, if that makes sense. So they pick out these seven men. And they're all Greek names. Uh, they're all names uh, from the Greek. Six of them, uh, six of the other men, all Greek names. But six of the other men, the one gentleman was um, uh, a non-Jew. He was a proselyte from Antioch. So he was a Gentile. And to, to give you an idea, that meant he was very, very, very seriously viewed as a, as, a, as a believer in Jesus the Christ for them to put him in a position like this. All right? They laid hands on them. Now, we do that in, in, in this church, and many of you come from other backgrounds where you see that, laying on of hands. You can go all the way back to the book of Exodus, and you can see this when Joshua, I'm sorry, Numbers, when Joshua, uh, when Moses lays his hands on Joshua, I think that's the first recorded incident of, of this in the scriptures. But there's a laying on of hands of the seriousness to bless this, and then they move forward with the action. Bruce, if you would. The announcement, here's the result of these actions that they took. The result was this. The announcement, the proclamation that's being made by the apostles increases. All right? The number of the disciples was multiplied. And it tells us many of the priests 
came to be obedient. Notice that word, obedient to the faith. Not just saying something, but they became obedient to the faith, participants in what was happening. And if you read just a few verses earlier, you'll see these priests had come along and they were con condemning those who were proclaiming this gospel. So through this effort, they become believers and they become obedient to the faith. And that's, that's a, it's an easily overlooked part of Scripture. But when you read that, many priests became obedient. Go back a few verses, go back a chapter two, and see what these believers, um, what these priests were doing. They were there to condemn what was happening. Suddenly, they become moved to action and become followers of the Lord. Now, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. I know that you know this, but I, I alluded to this a minute ago. It's important that we all have different roles. We have many members, but it's one body. Many members but don't all have the same function. Your hand doesn't do the same thing as your foot, which doesn't do the same thing as your pancreas, which doesn't do the same thing as your brain. On and on it goes. But all together we make a body. We're body of Christ and members, members in particular. And if one member suffers, <laughs> a, few weeks, a few days ago, I don't know what I did, but I did something in my back, and I missed a, uh, missed a service a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't know what I did. But I can tell you, when my back hurt, my whole body hurt. I didn't, it, it, was, it was tough. And you've, many of you have had that experience. Whether it's your foot. Someone told me this morning about spraining their ankle this week. Uh, when your body hurts, you're uncomfortable. That's a picture for us, folks. When someone in this body hurts, we should hurt with them. We should feel it. And to feel it only happens if we know it. And we only know it if we're here rubbing shoulders. I always say there's a special value of coming together. We don't come together just to study scripture. I'm not, that sound like a preacher when I said that. <laughs> but, but, but my point is this. We come together to know each other, to feel each other, to know the needs of each other. Those prayers that we hear tell us what's going on in the body. And if we don't feel something when we hear that, oh, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, God bless so-and-so. They've got this happening Tuesday. I want to be sure and pray that morning for their surgery, whatever it may be. If we're not doing that, we're not living up to our responsibility. There's more than just standing up and saying the Apostles' Creed. If you move on, Bruce. So to summarize some, don't worry, we're not quite done. You know, they will say you get to summarize about three times when you're up here. But uh, in summary, the growth brought challenges... That will always happen. When you have new people coming in, there's growth in the church, there's growth in the body. It will bring challenges. It's going to bring grumblings. It's going to bring dissent. It's going to bring problems. Believe me, serve on the board sometimes. Serve as a deacon sometimes. Here, there are issues that arise that have to be addressed. It's not easy. But they paid attention. They took decisive action through wisdom. They appointed the seven. They acted together. They divided the work, which is of equal importance. And things moved forward. God honored their efforts. Bruce, please. So what can we learn from this? We have to learn to solve problems the right way. When we as a body have issues that come up, when there's murmurings and disputes and disagreements, we have to learn to address our problems correctly and do it the right way. We don't just take off and build another building and start another. We learn to solve problems together. We share and respect the work that each of us does. We care for the ministry of the body, and we are very concerned about our reputation to the world. We have to think about what the world sees when we have issues. We have to deal with it in a way that's pleasing to God. 
Bruce, let's go forward 100 years now. All right? So we are looking at the scriptures that tell us about Jerusalem right after, uh, right after the ascension. And I want us to go forward about 100 years. This is about 125 A.D. And there is a, uh, a Roman emperor. His name Hadrian. Some of you have heard of Hadrian's Wall in England. And some of you know here. He's one of the five good emperors. And uh, there's this. Uh, if you go ahead, Bruce, go ahead to the next, to the next slide. Don't, don't worry about reading this. Uh, there is a, a Greek Christian guy living in Athens. Aristides is his name. And he writes this letter of apology to Hadrian. And he's describing the church, okay? Now, just if you would, just take a second and close your eyes a second. Let me read this. He said, how they love one another. But Christians, if there's any among them that's poor and needy, they have no spare food. They will fast two or three days in order to supply that need. They neither neglect the widow nor oppress the orphan. What each one has, he is willing to give freely to care for the one who has nothing. If they see one of their number that's outcast, they take him under their roof and they rejoice over him. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people and there is something divine in the midst of them. Would to God, that's what they would say about Bethel. When we have somebody that writes that kind of a thing about the body, we are doing what God calls us to do. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this time together. We pray that we haven't taken it lightly. We pray that we've done it in a way that's pleasing to you. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to not just hear these words, but to act on these words. That we would go out and be a changed people, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together. And may we remember, Father, to study and reflect on the life of Jesus, the example, willing to lay himself all out, to be all in for us, to show us the example of dying to self, to the bitter end. Father, may we be willing to lay down our lives for others. For in that we receive the fullness of grace and receive the reward that someday hopefully you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.